Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful to be here tonight. We're so thankful to have had the privilege of being together this week. Uh, Lord, just glorifying your name and praising you, and we've been so blessed. Tonight, our prayer is that you would speak, that we would listen. Father, I pray that that my words, um, that who I am would would not be a hindrance, and that you would empty me, uh, and Lord, that you would do the speaking tonight. And I also would pray that each one of us would be prepared to listen to your Holy Spirit. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That last song was quite the, the tearjerker. Um, no promises that I, won't, uh, that I won't lose it again as we're preaching. Um, but in case you missed it, Jesus wins. Um, how's everybody doing? It's been a... It's been kind of an awesome week. We've, we've been able to gather for the first time after two years of not being able to be together. Um, I was contemplating some of that just in, in preparation for this week and knowing that I was preaching and, and in, just in trying to prepare for camp. And I don't know if anybody else um, had the time to prepare for camp. I found that, um, that I didn't have much time to prepare for camp. In fact, life's been a little crazy, um, just a little. And if my wife can attest to that, I feel like I've been working nonstop. I feel like um, I come home, I eat dinner, I, I get back on the computer, um, and it just seems to go. Um, and I've been really resisting, uh, I call it Varga mode, you can laugh at me. Um, my siblings and I have this thing that we call Varga mode where we just kind of step up into the next gear and all you do is do. Um, maybe some of you do that. Um, and just go. And you become a machine. Anybody else feel like that? I see some nods. Um, those grapes look really good, don't they? And I was, I was thinking about what does it mean to be revived? And I heard a lot of that this week. Um, and I was also thinking about what does it feel like to be revived? And I was thinking about those grapes. <laughs> like imagine taking that, one of those grapes, you know, just right off of there, plucking it. And if you look really closely, it almost seems like there's a little bit of dew on them. And popping one of those in your mouth after playing soccer today. I didn't. You know the freshness? The coolness? Or maybe taking a swig of water after you're parched? Revival. To feel alive again. And if I'm totally honest, even though all of you have been asking how I'm doing and I say I'm doing fine, I can't say that I've been feeling that way. Anybody else feel like that? Or is it just me? I kind of feel like it's just me. But man, that forum about loving people when you really don't want to love them, and I'm not sure that's the title, um, that was pretty full. 
And I heard that that forum on anxiety and fear and worry was packed. And when I asked my, my class, when the class that Thad and I taught of 20 to 24-year-olds to write down um, what they're really struggling with and pass it in, there was a lot of things that people wrote down. So I guess I'm not alone. I guess we're in it together. You know, there's a, there's a passage that we're going to dive into um, here in just a second that, uh, that shows us a path. That shows us a path forward on how to get out of maybe the craziness that we're in. You know, and I mean, there's this craziness that we're dealing with. The, the pace of life feels like it's almost frantic. It's like, just go, 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 and then go, go even faster. And, and everything just compiles, and you can't even keep up. And, and maybe not all of you are feeling that way. Maybe the, like if you're under 20, um, life is good. You're just finishing up school, or you're still in school, and, and you're on summer break, and it's great. Um, but man, 70% of Americans think that a recession is just around the corner, so good luck getting a job. Uh, there's a war in the Ukraine, if you haven't noticed or heard about it. Um, they could just drop a nuclear bomb any day, and boy, that little regional conflict over there is going to escalate into a world war, and you guys are all getting sucked up into it. I don't think they're going to take a 51-year-old at the beginning, so I think I'm safe at the beginning. But good luck. Right? world's a little crazy. Um, I mean, it's so crazy that the Canadians, those of you, I love you brothers and sisters, you're thinking about coming to the U.S., except for California. Um, and if you're in California, you're thinking about running from California, right? Um, I mean, things have gotten so crazy in this world that the price of gas was so high in Michigan. My daughter told me a few weeks ago that it was almost the same price as gas in Canada. I mean, when's the last time that's happened? We're living in a crazy world. I propose to you that it's not going to get any better. The word provides a way forward. And so we're going to dive into that now. Um, and I think you're going to be amazed, I was, at how relevant this passage is to each of us today. So um, turn with me to Second Chronicles 26. We're going to start there. Second um, Chronicles 26 And we're going to talk about this king for a second. Uh, his name's King Uzziah, and uh, he was a great king. Uh, king Uzziah uh, was considered was a tenth king of Judah. So this was just just a really fast history lesson. We're going to do this really quick, right? We had two kingdoms at some point after Solomon died. We had Judah and we had Israel. Israel was ten tribes. Um, Judah was the others. Um, Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom. And so uh, he was the 10th king of Judah. How many good kings were there in, in Israel? None. If you, got it, if you said zero, you got the answer right. There were some good kings in Judah, however, and Uzziah was one of them. In fact, he was considered probably the greatest king of the divided kingdom. Um, during his reign, uh, Judah really established things. And so if you look, it's kind of cool. Um, in verse 6, oh, sorry, he was 16 when he, when he started. 
um, he sought, verse 5, he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Zechariah was like the, the priest and his, his mentor. Um, so he sought God in the days of Zechariah. Hint, hint, that means he doesn't later. Um, verse 6, he went forth, warred against the Philistines, break down the walls of Gath and the wall of Jabna. We get the idea. Um, verse 7, God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians. Verse 8, and the Ammonites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad even to the entering of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. I'm going to read really fast here because this is not the punchline. The punchline, as, we, as we're going to get to it. Verse 9, moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate. Also, he built towers in the desert, digged many wells, um, Verse 11, moreover, Uzziah had a host of fighting men. He had, uh, if we jump to verse 13, there was 300,000, 7,500 that made war with mighty power. And kind of the coolest thing to a, to a guy like, you know, to a guy like me, I guess, you might not think it's so cool. Um, he made in Jerusalem engines invented, invented by cunning men. So he had like these, these guys that, master craftsmen that figured out how to make catapults, how to make um, things that, like, whatever, huge bows, like right out of the movies that would shoot an arrow with great distances, you know, like huge arrows. So he had, like, these things built on top of the walls of Jerusalem, right? And there was a reason that this was necessary. Um, there was a reason that it was necessary, and that was because um, there was a kingdom that was surrounding Judah and Israel, and it was called Assyria at the time. And it was big. And it was powerful. Remember Nineveh? And why, why Jonah hated Nineveh, if you paid attention in class earlier this week? He hated Nineveh because they were Assyrians. The Nineveh, and they were awful. And they were brutal. And they loved to hurt people. That was just part of the way they were. And so he developed Judah and protected Judah and made Judah rich and money was coming in. And it was a good time to be in Judah. Right? It was a good time to be in Judah. And that lasted, that lasted until Zechariah died. And Uzziah slipped up. Uzziah slipped up and he got a little proud, got a little arrogant. He went into uh, the temple and he decided he was going to burn incense. And you might know this story. So he burns incense. The priests are trying to hold him back and say, stop, don't do this. He does it. The instant he does it, it says that leprosy appeared on his forehead. And for the next 10 years, he led the kingdom from a house, from a building that he couldn't leave. And his son led it in his behalf. And so he lived 10 years in isolation, running the kingdom. His son was afraid to go in the temple. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, and so he didn't worship. He didn't sacrifice like he was supposed to. And things start to go downhill. And Uzziah dies, right? He dies. And we think that the year before he dies, depending on the dates, that the year before he dies, the Assyrians invade Israel. So remember, Israel's the northern kingdom, 10 tribes. Judah's the southern kingdom, two tribes. Judah's invaded, Israel's invaded by the Assyrians, the people that Jonah is eventually going to hate. And so that's, that's the context. And now let's jump to Isaiah chapter 6 for the meat of our lesson, for the meat of our conversation tonight. Excuse me. And we read, starting with the first verse, in the year 
that King Uzziah died. And we see why I just explained what, about King Uzziah. Because in the year that King Uzziah dies, Isaiah has a vision. And you got to put it into context, though. Because what we were talking about, how life is a little crazy, there's a little anxiety, there's a little fear, we're not sure what the future holds, and it sure feels like the end is coming. I mean, come on, the world was shut down in three weeks, right? Who would have thought that could have ever happened? There's fear in Judah. There's a little worry in Judah, more than likely. I mean, the, the kingdom was just invaded to the north of them. They've got the walled cities set up on the border that, that Uzziah set up. They've got the catapults and Jerusalem. But is it going to hold? That's a huge, huge force coming from the north. And so there's a little consternation. There's some sin, right? Uzziah was sinning. I mean, he just died. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And there is sin in Judah. And we know that because we're going to read it just a little bit later in this passage. And so we don't know exactly what Isaiah is thinking, but I would venture to guess that Isaiah, Isaiah is wondering what's going to happen We've got a sinful people. We know what was prophesied about Israel, right? We know what was prophesied about Israel, that this, this invasion was going to come and they were going to get destroyed, and it just started. And what's going to happen to us? We're a sinful people. Our king was a sinner. He just died. His son, Jotham, isn't willing to go into the temple and sacrifice because he's afraid he's going to get leprosy too. And so what's going to happen? And I venture to guess that Isaiah is reaching out to God and asking for some direction. And God provides. Isaiah seeks and God provides. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. God responds and a vision is provided. And it's fascinating do you ever wonder, if you know this passage, do you ever wonder how Isaiah got to see God? I mean, nobody sees God, right? You die if you see God. Doesn't the Bible say that, that nobody got to see God? So how does Isaiah get to see God? John twelve forty one says that this is Jesus. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spoke of him in John 12, 41. And so Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah sees God, he sees the Lord. He sees the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, this is really fascinating, right? He's up on his throne. And if you know your Bible, remember Matthew 25, when it talks about the goats and the sheep? Did I do it right? Yeah. Well, it's okay. To me, goats, sheep, to you, Goats, sheep, is that right? Did I do it right? right. Okay, so um, remember Matthew 25, when the, the, the separation of the sheep and goats? It says that Jesus is going to sit on the great white throne of judgment. That he's going to sit on the judgment. Is this the throne of judgment? Let's find out. Because he sees God sitting on his throne, and it's high. He sees Jesus on that throne, and it's high. And it starts to speak about the glory and the deity of Jesus. And if you wonder about the Trinity, if you wonder, is there a triune God? Is there a Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? And somebody's telling you that there's not? This tells you that there is. Because Jesus is on the throne. And he's the one that Isaiah sees. 
authority. It's kingship. And here we see Jesus. Jesus, who is the judge. Jesus, who is the mercy seat. Jesus, who is the creator, the keeper, the maker. Colossians says, not only does he create, but he keeps, right? Without Jesus choosing to keep things together, if he just decided, I'm going to have a day off, everything would just cease to exist. It would fall apart. He keeps it. Not only does he create it, he keeps it. And this is the Jesus that Isaiah sees. And imagine, imagine, imagine Isaiah is you. And you're worried, and you're scared, and you're a little nervous about the future, like we should be. And you see Jesus, high, and lifted up on his throne. This is Jesus, not as the high priest. This is Jesus, not as the man. This is Jesus. This is the Jesus that Philippians talks about when it says that when Jesus comes back, every knee will bow. Right? That's the Jesus that Isaiah experiences. Jesus on his throne, high, lifted up. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And when we read this passage, we think, what are the seraphims? That sounds so weird, right? They got six wings. And we, we miss the point of what's happening here. Right? We have above the throne these beings, these created beings whose purpose is to praise. And what's so awesome about this is these beings that are praising, right? These creatures that are praising. We don't know exactly what they are, but they're angelic, heavenly. They're beings. They're providing perfect praise. They're providing perfect praise. And as they say, holy, 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 the temple shakes the throne room shakes. The posts of the room are shaking. Perfected praise. Imagine, imagine our choir that we just had. Imagine it in heaven. Imagine when there is perfect praise, when there's no, you know, no rough throat by the time you're done, no tiredness, no need for water, no, no fatigue. Imagine when there's no sin and you can just praise God perfectly. And imagine this place shaking as we're singing, providing praise to the almighty king, to the creator, to Jesus. And not only, not only are these beings proclaiming praise, but by their very actions of covering their face and covering their feet, they're showing humility and submission to the king, right? So there's praise that's being given at the same time as there's humility and submission being provided to the king. What would you do? What would you do if you were there? How about a yawn? Would it, would it be a yawn? I mean, I know we're tired. You see Jesus like this? Is that what it would be? Cool. That's sweet. That's, that's a pretty cool train, Jesus. Is that what it would be? Would it be, this is amazing. Praise God, I'm part of this. Let's, let's, let's build something right here to proclaim and remember this day. Is that what it would be? I want to take a picture. I want to send it to my friends. Right? 
can I, can I take a picture? Jesus, will you let me? Is that what we would do? I want to point something out. Isaiah epitomizes, or at least for us, the identification here is desperation. We don't know exactly, but we can sense that because of timing, because it says in the year the king Uzziah died, that there was, there was a desperation here, that there was concern about the future. And maybe you'd be taking a picture because you don't need revival. Life is good. Life's a party. You're making money. You're going on vacations. You got a nice car, nice house, nice family, all clothed well. Everybody's got the latest iPhone. We're good. God's been blessing on me, so we're good. Is that what it is? I don't need revival. I'm good. Is there desperation in your life? Do you see and sense a desperate need for Jesus because you sense that things are wrong, that things are wrong in this world? That's what Isaiah did. Now, it seems that Isaiah might have had a little bit of chip on his shoulder because he saw the sin in the people. He saw the sin. But it seems that just maybe, just maybe, he thought he was good. I mean, there's a lot of sin among you. I'm good. I'm God's prophet. I'm the preacher tonight. I got this. You need some help. Not when you come to God. Not when you come face to face with Jesus. When you come face to face with Jesus. Unfortunately, or maybe better stated, fortunately, we see ourselves as we really are. And that's what happens with Isaiah. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Woe is me. Woe. Despair. There's a cry of anguish. Right? So Isaiah, he sees God and there's a woe. There's a cry. There's a no. I see myself as I really am. Because I am a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And I am undone. I am, I am placed in a position that I cannot say anything. Do you see? Do we see as a church, as a people, as individuals, do we see, do we care to see that we're complacent, that we have sin, that we don't care, that we're good and life is busy and it's okay? Or are we past caring? Woe is me. I am undone. I am unraveled. I am exposed. There is nothing, nothing that I can hide before the living God, before Jesus. He sees everything. I am undone. I'm unraveled. It's like an onion. You can unpeel it. Jesus sees everything. I am undone. I am not justified. I am not right. I am not better than you. You're not better than me. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. I don't just make mistakes. They're not just faults. They're not just errors. Call it what you will. All unrighteousness is sin. And when we are complacent, when we're too busy, and we go into machine mode, what are you going to call it? We are all undone when we're willing to acknowledge 
who we are before Jesus. <coughs> Isaiah doesn't defend himself. He doesn't sit back and say, God, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm working really hard for you. I mean, I'm on phone calls every, you know, at least a few times a week. I'm doing a sermon at least once or twice a week. I've got Bible studies. I've got counseling sessions. Um, I'm doing youth group. I'm leading youth group. I mean, I'm undone. I'm undone. Because the reality of who I am is exposed before Jesus. What do you do when you reach that point? You might be thinking about it now. You might be feeling it now. I wonder what Isaiah was thinking in that moment. How do I fix this? What kind of sacrifice can I make? How can I be made right with God? And this passage, this passage is so powerful because again, we see the accuracy of the gospel message portrayed in this passage. Notice what's, what's profound here too, by the way, just as a little subtext, is Jesus hasn't said anything yet. This is all in the split moment that Isaiah recognizes that he's in the presence of Jesus, that he recognizes the authority and the sovereignty and the power and the magnificence and everything Jesus is. <coughs> And he sees himself as he really is. Singing to the choir did me in. And the next moment, one of those seraphim, they come flying down and they grab a hot coal from off the altar with tongs, flies over, touches Isaiah's lips. And the sin is purged. And then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips. Thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And Jesus is up on the throne. He takes away our sin. We do not take away our sin. There's nothing Isaiah could do to take away his sin. Jesus took away his sin. And I love the image <coughs> of the hot coal touching. Because on one hand, you got to be a little freaked out, right? If you're Isaiah, that coal's coming to your mouth. And it's going to be painful. Just like trying to take away our sin would be. Because we're supposed to die to pay for our sin. And instead, there's no pain. It just says that the sin is gone. And not only is the sin gone, but that purging that comes with the hot coal is this idea of wood burning and all that's left is ash. There's no sin anymore. The sin is gone. There's no sin to remember. The sin is gone. Right? The sin is purged. The sin is gone. And Isaiah didn't do anything. That's the image that we have here. And, and there's an immediate response that Isaiah has Right? The response is immediate because he has been cleaned from his sin. The sin is gone. And I wonder what that would have felt like. I wonder if that would have been like eating that grape on a, on a dry, thirsty day after playing soccer or taking a swig of water. What does it feel like when the sin is gone? Well, there's a lot of us here that should remember that. Right? There's a lot of us that, that should be experiencing that very often. Also, 
I heard a voice, Isaiah says. <laughs> I love that. It doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't saying anything beforehand, right? This is all happening very quickly. But the moment the sin is purged, he hears Jesus. And I love that. I love the fact that, that, that as a believer, I have a connection that didn't exist before. I have a connection that didn't exist. And Isaiah hears Jesus. And the Lord Jesus simply says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And it's as if, as if there's a crowd, right? You, the kind of question is, is <laughs> why would he be asking Isaiah? Because there should be a crowd. But this is a personal vision for Isaiah. And he hears, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And what is going to be your response if Jesus says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? What would you say? What would you say? Not me. I don't think so. What would you say? Luke, you're going to get baptized soon. What would you say? Yes! I, could, I shouldn't be able to call on every one of you, sorry. <laughs> I surprised the poor young guy. <laughs> I should be able to call on every one of you, and every one of you would be saying, yes, here I am. Send me, Lord, send me, here I am. And guess what Isaiah says? The very same thing, here I am, send me. And you know, that's not the first time it's happened. Isaiah, um, Isaiah. Abraham in Genesis, says, here I am, Lord, when the Lord speaks. Jacob, twice, says, here I am, Lord, when the Lord speaks. Samuel, here I am, when the Lord speaks. Saul, we heard about it last night. Saul on the road to Damascus. Who are you, Lord? Bam, after he got nailed. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Ananias, the man that was supposed to go find Paul, who kills Christians, when the Lord spoke, you know what he said? Here I am. Yes. Yes. The call and the response. You see, if we are desperate for God and we recognize that we need help, we seek God. We seek God through his word. We seek God like we heard last night in the word and through the word. And that was such a powerful message of, of considering what was happening in Nehemiah's time, in the book of Nehemiah during Ezra's time, right? The people, Ben didn't get a chance to get to it. He was giving us the overview, but the people were complacent. The people had been complacent. The people had gotten surrounded by enemies and enemies had infiltrated. But there's a recognition that something was wrong, that something was wrong. And when the word was read, there was change. And so when we seek the Lord, he responds. You can pick a bunch of verses that talk to it, right? We all know him. You have, should have him memorized. But when we seek the Lord, he responds, just like you responded to, to Isaiah here. And when he responds, and when we look at the word, we see our sin. And when we see our sin before God, we are undone. And we fall. We're undone. And God, God can cleanse us from that sin. And what are you going to do then? Go. Because all of a sudden, you can hear that voice, that voice of Jesus with clarity like you never heard before. And you get to go. And the power of the message here as Isaiah is continuing on, is Isaiah is like, okay, I'm going to go. 
And he says, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, in verse 9, follow along with me, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and their, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. <laughs> go and provide a message that no one's going to want to hear. Right? That's Isaiah's job. Welcome to the first day at work. Go and provide a message that no one's going to want to hear. That no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to understand it. They're going to be confused. They're going to reject it. They're going to reject you. That's your job. Kudos to Isaiah. He doesn't say, I quit. He doesn't say, can I have another job, Lord? He says, how long? How long? Then said I, in verse 11, Lord, how long? God says, Jesus says, until there's no one left to talk to. Until there's no one left. Because you are going to proclaim this message and the cities are going to fall and the people are going to get taken away. That's your message. But what is so powerful about this too, if you know the book of Isaiah, right, the prophecies that are in the book of Isaiah, he's prophesying about the Messiah. And so what is so powerful about God's call and then God's direction and God's purpose for us is that we don't see the end result. And Isaiah saw everything fall. He saw everything fall. That was his job. But in Isaiah 65.1, we read, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold me, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. So prophecy that guess what? Because of Isaiah, because Isaiah was willing to do a lifelong job that for all of us would sound pretty awful, we're here. We're the nation that's not called by his name. We're the people that weren't supposed to listen, but listened. And that's our job. You want revival? Do I want revival? I gotta look at myself. Where's the sin in my life? Has God stopped being first? Am I desperate? Am I desperate for him? Or are things going really well? Just a little bit uneasy about the future. I heard a testimony um, not that long ago. It's probably the most powerful testimony I heard recently. It really, it made me feel about this big. I don't know if the person knows how powerful it was. But what does it mean to seek God? What does that mean? What does it mean to seek God with everything you have? I got the opportunity to hear a testimony of a person who, who was so desperate for God, who was so desperate for God, that she found a Bible by a dumpster that had been thrown out. She picked it up, cleaned it off, and started reading it. And she's a believer. Are we desperate enough for God to do that? Are we desperate enough for God to say, send me? Here I am. Send me. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, whose name alone is holy, thank you for loving us enough to show us who we really are. 
Without you, we are nothing. And so we beg for forgiveness and for mercy and for strength that we would recognize the pride in our own life and the sin that so easily besets us that it can be done away with if we would humble ourselves and let you exalt us. Lord, you are high and lifted up. Your name is worthy of all praise. And we thank you for the clarity we receive tonight. Praying always in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.